My name is Brad Henderson. I'm here with uh, Mr. Steve Barnett, the director of Scanner Cop 2. How are you doing, Brad? Not too bad. I appreciate you being here and um, discussing, uh, you know, what I still consider one of the best sequels of all time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very flattered. I, I can't tell you how happy I am that people really enjoy this picture. I, I never, it never occurred to me that, you know, 28 years later, I'd be talking about it so thank you fans thank you everybody that big scanners um very cool of you so to start off um you know just as far as the casting um mm -hmm. process i mean you had some established already but um what was uh when did patrick kilpatrick come into the picture I, I, as I recall, Patrick had worked with Pierre on another one of his pictures, and I've forgotten the name of that show right now. Um, but he was pretty instantly Vulcan uh, when he came in to visit. Um, he, he just, you know, this movie is Dracula's story, and he had this great gravitas and presence and menace just projecting while he's standing still. And so that was something that I really, really enjoyed, you know, when he came in. And Christine Hodge was, uh, you know, kind of a uh, part of the regular casting process. Um, and what I really enjoyed, she took incredibly dry dialogue discussing these mechanical scanner things and made it really sing and, and believable. And, of course, Danny Quinn was Scanner Cop. I mean, he, yeah. he came to the party um, from the first movie that Pierre had directed and you know brought all that with him so very very happy that you know i got these three people together <laughs> and there i am um so you were asking me a question about the crew yeah i was just curious uh, you know because some of the crew members that you worked with uh um, how many did you bring in from previous projects or just known acquaintances that you knew of at the time well, it was Pat Rand was, you know, my editor who I knew from Roger Corman's that I really wanted him to come in. Oh, hey, can I talk about this scene right here? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, cool. So this was a strange location up in a park somewhere. Um, it was a tiny, tiny building, and we had to shoot the interiors there as well. Um, and it, it, I believe it had actually rained, so that gave us this, you know, I don't think I would have had money for a wet down. Um, and I really enjoyed this guy that played the sheriff um, and his deputy. This was, this was some of the most fun stuff that I got to direct, just these little tiny scenes like this. It was really fun. Now, all, all, all this is filmed in the same area, even the interior of this? Yeah, that was, the th I mean, it was a tiny, I mean, I couldn't get the camera back. Um, oh, here's this guy that played the doctor. Um, he, he was terrific. One of the fun parts I had trying to make these little informational scenes interesting was I just told these guys, hey, let's just start out the whole scene with that you hate each other. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, why don't you let them drift? <laughs> so that was, you know, kind of a kind of a cool bit that way. Yeah, and you know this this guy's this guy's very cool. Just the deputy being this, you know, <laughs> Barney Fife kind of a guy. He was very fun. Um, 
So I don't think we shot the jail cell here, though. I think the jail cell was shot on a stage someplace else. Um, and I remember just having fun. You know, Tom Jewett, the director of photography, I mean, you could tell from that first scene, you know, he was very, very great with shadows. And you can see these great shadows cast by the bars on the wall. And yeah, this was shot on the stage someplace. Now watch what Patrick does here in a second. Just he'll do this really cool thing. That. <laughs> you know, he just... He knew the light, he knew the camera, um, and he, just him moving into shape like that, you know, was an awesome move. And Tom lit the hell out of the scene. And we look at, when you cut back to Patrick in a second, you know, he's, he's Dracula, he's, he's just hanging there. And then, you know, now one of, the, one of the hardest parts was the blood coming out of noses. That was a real pain <laughs> to get right. We'd have to like run in and drop the blood up the guy's nose and say, okay, just suck it there, hold it for, for a second, and roll camera, quick! And then, you know, we let the blood come out. And, and there you go. <sighs> yeah, Patrick, you know, just, you know, he's just got this great down light on him and, you know, really love this stuff. Uh, he, he elevates every scene he's in in this movie for sure. He does. And then, you know, what if you, uh, here we got this great stabbing that's going to kind of happen there in a second. Um, uh, but listen to the sound of the scanning. Pierre David, our producer, was real specific about these sound effects. What is the sound of scanning? Yeah. And, you know, Patrick just mentions the ephemeral there, and that was, you know, kind of a, a major plot point in the first scanners that this was a drug that scanners took to repress their, their scanning ability. And then um, in this movie, you know, Sam Stasiak, Daniel Quinn's character is going to be you know, dealing with a different form of femoral. Oh, there's our blood, blood on a mustache. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was fun. That was really good. Um, yeah, and you see, it's like this, I, 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 I had no place to go with the camera, but again, just these guys and Tom just made these, the, the compositions great. Now you can notice here that Vulcan is just dressed in black. He has no, you know, duster. He doesn't have a coat on. Um, it was a big deal in pre-production about what was his coat going to be. I mean, you know, ah, he's a mean guy, that, that Vulcan. Oh, I love the way our sheriff grabbed that wanted poster and ripped it on his way down. I have no idea if he intended to do that, but it worked out great. So now here, so Patrick grabs the coat. That's the doctor's coat. That's how we set that whole thing up. So, you know, obviously this was later in the shoot, but before filming began this coat was a big long topic of discussion i'm so glad we did it it was basically dracula's cape and um how are we going to get it on him well let's have the doctor hang it up and you know you might remember earlier the doctor was very nice and make sure it was creased properly when he hung it up there <laughs> so yeah i really it was just it was just swell up oh, so now we're gonna gunshots cost a lot of money these blanks were a bunch of dough And there's Patrick, man. He just can't say enough good things. Yeah, it's, it's such a evil and likable villain at the same time. Yeah, and he's, and he's effortless with, with it. He just kind of, you know, uh, he's very still, very quiet. And again, really thrilled about the rain that was out there that night, making sure this was all you know, nice and wet down and, and creepy looking. And if we had a wet down... Thanks to the grip guys. I just don't remember. 
So we go back to Los Angeles and we have the Trans Neural Resource Center, which is, you know, this kind of scanner, you know, home for cool people. And there's Christine. I, I, I'm pretty confident, you know, that the lollipop that she has got in her hand was her idea. Uh, it was, she just went to the prop guy and, and, and wanted something to play with. So you see her on, she's delivering this kind of, you know, like fundraising text on the television. That was in her audition. She had scenes in the audition where she was interacting with Danny or interacting with Patrick. But that was what really sold me, is that she could deliver these lines properly. And then she took it, you know, and just played with it. And I love the way her eyes kind of go wide when her friend is over there behind her. And there she is, cute as can be. So there's, uh, they're talking about the potential romantic interest that uh, Christine would have in, in, in Danny's character. Um, yeah, that was always kind of a, you know, that, that, little, that little romantic tension was always kind of the fun part of the show. And there she goes with the lollipop again. Got, you got oh yeah and then she does the lip curl thing like Lucy here we go <laughs> so yeah so Danny that oh that's that's Danny's leather jacket here's Danny Quinn's first shot in the picture um, big discussions of what his wardrobe was going to be um, I was an old fuddy duddy I had a bomber jacket in mind he said no man <laughs> he was really adamant about this coat and he was so right I mean it just looks so cool on him um, and and just just adds to that that presence that that you know Sam Stasiak has to have yeah no that works because in the first one you know I, obviously it's him as a young young man uh, young boy you know developing into you know this uh, <laughs> this young man that's dealing with stuff and as a cop and well dressed in that sense and then this one right. is a little bit more you know he's just cooler you know yeah and you can see, we just came through that scene with Patrick where, you know, he's having the flashback to the moment that, that we, you'll see later in the movie. But that was this little audio flashback. I'm pretty sure that that was uh, Pat Rand's idea to put that audio flashback on top of the driving scene just to, you know, just to emphasize what was going to happen. Pat Rand was my picture editor. He started that with Rogers. So then we get this whole subplot about Sam's mom. This is getting set up here, and you know, Christine again, very empathetic, really, really pleasant. Now, what's interesting about the scanner center? You can see it's kind of vanilla. It's very, you know, very not. I don't want to say flat lighting, but it's not very, you know, you know, shadowy. It's just kind of a nice, pleasant, easy place, and that was, you know, intentional. We wanted that to be, you know, normal. We didn't want to get into lots of the, you know, the vampire lighting in in these sequences right here. So you can. You, you just had to establish that groundwork at the show coming out. And this is my uh, Between Two Ferns composition. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, well, anyway, so there's Pat uh, pulled up in the car. We, he's still having this aural flashback to what you'll see later on in the movie. You know. And again, that was this is Tom. Let's, let's just find a way to put the car up here. Yep. And, you know, it's so kind of clunky looking back at these old peak computer monitors. This is really funny. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure that I'm, I'm sure that umbrella was, you know, Tom's like, get something, get something in that frame because it's really boring with that shot. <laughs> oh, so this, this location, uh, this kind of hostage location that, that Sam gets called to, 
This is a circular room, which I was very excited about filming in when we got there. And I wish we could have made more of it. Um, it, it you know, it just very low ceiling uh, kind of a show. Ah, here we go. You got um, uh, Sam and um, uh, oh golly, Robert Forrester. Thank you. So here we got Sam and Robert Forrester outside, um, and that's um, uh, Steve Bendel, uh, who plays Sam's partner, talking right there. Steve and I became dive buddies later on. He was a big scuba diver, and we'd go out off of the Channel Islands, had a great time. So uh, Robert Forrester was just great. I was a huge fan of a show called Banachek. That was a TV show where he played a thirty. He played a um, where he played a thirties detective. And I, I was so excited to have him in the movie. And to him, it was like, you know, this is a gig. I'm doing it. He was right there on the money all the time. So you can see in the scene, you know, we have it's kind of circular. I, 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 I would have liked to have gotten more. I should have been able to figure out a way to get more out of this coverage in here. But anyway, now walking behind right to there. Yeah. That's that he now. Um, it's Kate Kane Hodder. I'm sorry, you're right. Walking yeah. behind there is Kane Hodder, who you know was one of the Jasons, and um, uh, he was. It was a big deal. He was going to be there. He, he was going to do it as a kind of a favor, but it was going to be part of our publicity thing. And then, of course, later on, we kept him there all bloody night because of some shooting problem that we had. Um, uh, so. You know, again, right now you start to see we're getting a little shadowy with Christine in her room there, and this is the this is the set the table scene <laughs> that, that 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 Robert Forrester is so good at. He just he, he was able to pull this off and, a, and a, with a really straight face, and you know, there we go. Now this shot coming up, this little there's in a second you see Danny reflected in multiple windows. That was an accident when we are we are blocking the scene when he's about ready to you know. To pull up outside where all these terrorists are, are hiding, um, I saw this reflection. I said, "Asked Tom, hey, can we do that?" And he said, "Yeah, okay, we can do that." So you know, it had this like little ripple of reflections through that glass. And at the end of it, it took a long time. And he said, "Yeah, we shouldn't have done that. <laughs> it took too long." Um, and again, the scanning sound effects, all all Pierre, making sure that's cool. Um, now, what I really kind of liked about directing this picture is that it's a scanner movie it's science fiction but we also had this whole police thriller you know aspect to it guys with machine guns and you know getting scanned and 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 you know beaten up and it wasn't just you know a single science fiction picture it was it had all these different kind of yeah you know, it's like facets that scan made fun. scanners meets die hard right here yeah, well, yeah, except we didn't have ducks, but we could have had ducks. <laughs> so this is a big deal. Like Danny is now going to scan through the headsets, and you know, and he's gonna, there's Kane. So you know, Kane was so patient and so gracious. He was supposed to get in there. We were supposed to do him first, just to get him out the door. Something happened. He had to stick around to like four in the morning to get this scanning scene done, where you know he starts to like melt. Um, and this was, you know, I think this was the first bunch of scanning that I kind of did, uh, where bad things happen to people. Now look at the intensity on Danny's face when, you know, when, when that comes out. He's, look at that, look at that, man, that's him. That's all him. He just had this really innate ability to project that kind of, you know, sci-fi power. And then, you know, oh, there Kane. Oh, no, my God, look what we did to Jason. <laughs> <laughs> 
And then Danny takes him down. Yeah, so, you know, I really kind of dug the concept of this location, but I don't think I executed as well as I might have. I think I could have gotten more out of it. Now, the downstairs stuff is all great, the hallway stuff, but the actual office up here, this is it. Now, coming up is a kind of a cool transition. So Danny is projecting himself as one of the terrorists, or the other terrorists, you know, will, will, will you know, go along. But, you know, finding a way to get that, you know, that thing working back where we transition back to Danny, I'm pretty confident this was Pat Rand's uh, design of these opticals that, you know, we had discussed what's the mechanical process, we experimented around with a couple of things and, um, you know, came up here in just a second when the scan breaks. Let's untie that old Wait, says Danny. Give me the detonator. Hmm. Is that Danny's voice or is that his voice? I think that's his own voice. I think it's the guy's voice. Yeah, here we go. Yeah, so now we now we break the spell, and we got this great negative thing there, and and yeah, that was. See, look at man, we got gunshots, we got <laughs> scanning, we got it all. We got it well, all I think it's picture. good because it's a it's you know this is the good uh, you know good introduction to how our final showdown is going to end up too with the projection stuff. Yeah, yeah, that that actually set up nicely that Danny can manipulate people's minds into seeing other stuff that you know maybe they didn't want to see. And he, now he does this. And again, you know, he, he, he's not, this is, there's no makeup on him, man. He's just doing this stuff on his own. He was very intense. He knew exactly how he wanted to portray that aspect of, of his, his, his performance and what, what uh, Danny Quinn was capable, I'm sorry, what uh, Sam Stasiak was capable of. And of course, Steve Mandel, my, 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 my good luck charm comedy relief outside. <laughs> there we go. And, uh, yep, yeah, see, good enough after all. And yeah, he is like Die Hard, there's my cop. Uh, <laughs> so, all this kind of carved in, either. pardon me? I said, you don't waste any time either. I mean, we, we already had that, and now Vulcan is already yeah, there, yeah. you know, just tracking everybody down, right? No, he's, he's, um, we get the move, we get the story moving, you know pretty quickly you know Mark Sevy um, did a nice job with that stuff now the idea of crafting this character of Vulcan was that all Mark or what did you have any you know creative uh, input on you know creating this big villain that just appears kind of out of nowhere you know that was pretty much mark when when pierre i had directed for pierre on a show called mission of justice and you know he he, he enjoyed how that went and so um when i came on this show mark sevy had already drafted this you know this very kind of a uh this 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 vampirish character but i can't emphasize enough how pat kilpatrick brought this thing to life i mean he took he took so much more you know on the page uh um from the i'm sorry he, he brought so much more to it than was on the page he just it was just exciting to watch all i had to do was just kind of get out of his way <laughs> you know so here we have this little like you know this little throwaway. Oh, you're so cute. I can scan you. There you go. Oh, I finally figured out why I was looking at the I was looking at the first scanner cop credits. That's why I couldn't find Robert Forster in them. 
So now we got this doubled up scanning sound effect again. And you know our our sound mixing guys. You know now you hear, hear that hear that kind of layered out. It's like two different scanning things going on. Vulcan yeah. scan, Christine scan. That was very specific. That was something we 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 strive for quite a lot. You know, and then Christine, and even Christine. You know, uh, the scanning stuff. I mean, look at how she's getting hammered. This this aspect of shooting this movie. I can't underestimate enough how, how, I don't want to say rough, but how intense it was for the actors to portray scanning on screen realistically because we'd call a cut and it was like this big exhale and exhaustion and give me a second. I mean, it, it took a lot out of these people. Yeah, that's what Patrick was mentioning the numerous times I've spoken to him is that, uh, you know, sometimes they would just pass out and just lay yeah. down because it would yeah. just take so much out of them. Oh, it was ridiculous. And, you know, there was a, when I directed a, this, this, you know, Mission of Justice, the karate movie I did for Pierre, I remember talking to some of the, you know, the stuntmen and the actors about how you need to stretch and get ready for that aspect of it. And it's very parallel here, man. This is an incredible mental, you know, a, a, a very intense mental exhibition of strength that, that just, I, I can't say enough, you know, about how they went through this and, and pulled it off and, and still had a cup of coffee and went home at the end of the night. <laughs> and, uh, you know, just to add a curiosity with, uh, you know, the, you know, this is our fifth Scanners movie in, in, mm -hmm. in the series. What point did um, almost oh, like wait, a... wait, 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 hang on, hang on, go back to that. Go back. When you go back to the scene, I mean, look it... at the tear coming down Christine. That was her. That was, that was Christine's, you know, you know, anguish. All, all her. That wasn't an eye drop or anything, and she just really got into this aspect of, of, of the performance. I'm sorry, you were saying another question. Well, it's you know, out of all the Scanners film, this is the only one that has a kind of sexual gratification when scanning. Where, where did that kind of come into play? In the I movie? would suggest, you know, listen, it's been a while. I, I, I think there was an aspect of it in um, uh, Oh, golly, I'm a little off mic here. Uh, it's been a while. I think it was, there's an aspect of it in um, the script. But when I did the scene in the alley, looking back, I think that was one of the earlier scanning scenes I did with Patrick. And he just knew that <laughs> this was more than just scanning, that this had that level of sexual gratification that you're describing. Um, and he brought it to almost everything he did. It was just, um, uh, it, it was something that he discovered. And it made the character incredibly creepy and, and a, a great villain on top of it, you know? Yeah, and then also, like we've, you know, discussed numerous times already, it is kind of a Dracula story and there is a lot of sexual stuff. In oh, you know, Dracula's all about sexual repression. Yeah. And so, you know, I mean, the only thing we don't have in here are those three girls, you know, lying around in bed somewhere <laughs> um, that, that Dracula had the blessing to, to, to do it. So this is this... Um, uh, so here's... So it's any, any second now, Steve Mandel is going to touch Danny Quinn's shoulder. <laughs> it was, so... Um, there we go. Now watch what now watch what Pat does here. <laughs> he's, 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 he found some noodles. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I 
know where that came from. <laughs> I, I, it wasn't me. I wasn't that good. I was like, yeah, put a camera here, see what Pat does. You know. You know. So here we got. You know, Danny and Payne. Yeah, there you go. That's Mendel. Mendel was just so. Steve Mendel was a very funny character. Okay, now watch what's happening in this shot. This is one of my favorite little anecdotes about the movie. I only had one setup to do this. And I said, Danny, I need you to, I, I'm sorry, I had one setup to do this. I said, Patrick, I need you to figure out a way to make this interesting. And he went, okay. And on the way out, Patrick made that picture crooked. And when we rolled camera, he came back in and straightened it. That was Patrick's idea. And then he just rummages through and let stuff fall on the ground. It's just, you know. Watch what Patrick does here. Watch what he does again. This is great. That was him, you know. So, so this is this, we had a, a special effects guy and I wanted the shotgun Coming up, there's a scene where the shotgun's going to blow up the door. And I wanted the shotgun to poke a hole in the door so that you could kind of see through to the guy with the shotgun. And he went, okay. And he kept on adding primer cord, this very intense stuff. And I remember the stunt coordinator went to the stuntman, who's going to be standing here in a second with his back to camera, and went, when, when it happens, turn yourself away from that window, the window to Danny's right right there. So, you know, now, of course, you know, we, it's Danny senses the, the guy on the other side, and then that. So, the, the stuntman, you know, the window shattered. The guy put so much primer cord in that door that the window shattered, and I'm, and I'm really happy my stunt coordinator um, told that guy to turn away from the glass. So, there we go. And we had another similar, you know, accident in a second here when Patrick runs out the window. Um, so now listen here. So this is, again, we're going to have this kind of dual scanning thing happening. And um, uh, we had a great sound designer, Bruce Nazarian, who, you know, worked for us with the, you know, with the Pierre approved scanning sound effects. And there's kind of the classic one. There's our blood again. Blood coming out the nose. That's hard. And look how Danny's selling that. Look at how he's selling that. He just, he's awesome. Uh, so, so now we add the extra Danny Quinn scan on top of the other one. Now you've got this kind of waving file thing happening with the two scanning sound effects. And that was, again, that was Bruce Azarian, our sound designer, and uh, you know Dennis Patterson is our re-recording mixer. He, they just did great stuff with this. And the intensity, again, Patrick getting scanned and how that horrible that feels. And both these guys went through it like crazy. Yeah. Great location again, backyard right by the, you know, right by the electric powers. I also like um, Vulcan's, you know, the, the, the character when he doesn't get his way or something goes wrong. It's very much like a childlike tendencies. Oh, uh, thank you for mentioning that. Yeah, he, it, he just, he's a kind of, I, I think he had some kind of an arrested development thing, Vulcan, when he was little. Who knows? You know? And again, check this out. Look at, the, look at these, these, these towers. Again, that's Tom Jouette trying to find 
some way to make stuff look cool and direct it in the frame. He really did these great compositions, and that was one of them. You know, so. So now, you know, this is kind of our setup to this little, you know, this alley. I think this alley's in a studio, on a studio lot, sort of maybe downtown. I'm not quite sure exactly. Um, but uh, this was, you know, this kind of stuff was fun to direct. Just, you know, scanners doing mundane, everyday things that they got to do to, you know, to get out of there. Well, we also have a lot, you know, we have a ton of scanners in this movie. As yeah, well, which was which was kind of new. Yeah, there was a whole community out there that that this show brought in. I, I can't recall if that was really introduced in Scanner Cop One, but like, and and there were scanners, you know, throughout you know the other the other movies. But you know, now, now again, this is you know, he's it's, Patrick just comes in and just goes, oh, cute girl kind of vibe going, you know, and he gets his little rolling the eyes up in the back of his head, comes through the steam. This again, look at the lighting that Tom did for this scene, the, the great shadow. And that, that, that catch, that was something we worked on. That was, a, that was a real specific thing that we wanted to do. You know, and so just, this is, this is, this is the scene where the, the sexual gratification really comes out. You'll, you'll watch as this whole process goes on. And that, just screaming, I'm hungry. And you can hear the little riff of music that comes off of that. That was, you know, my composer, Richard Bowers, you know, grabbed a hold of that. And he's just laying down this very almost religious kind of organy sound here. Um, just, just nicely done, you know. And then this, yeah, beat feet, man. That's Tony Fauci. He was just cool. He is just cool, you know. And here we go. And, and again, Patrick just toying with these people. So this was a, you know, this is one of the first sequences that we really storyboarded um, with um, uh, our, with John Beekler and company. And John was so generous with his time. So we were saying, well, what's going to happen here? How are we going to design scanning where they suck a life force out of somebody? Um, and, you know, in the other scanning scenes, in other movies, people explode and blood and stuff happens. But this had to be a little bit more. Yeah. So, you know, we, we just worked on this process of just melting people, you know, just like taking, as their essence leaves their bodies, their bodies become empty husks and they end up with nothing. So, and we tried to build on that every time we did the show, every time we did it. Now, did uh, did John shoot any of these scenes? Uh, he was on set, but we had a second unit director uh, mm -hmm. who did most of this stuff. Um, this is yeah, this is all great. I mean, look at what's happened. Look what look, look what John Beekler did here. Um, it was a. Um, uh, we would light the set and then, you know, so like, uh, so obviously there's no special effects footage on, on Patrick. So I shot all this stuff on Patrick's side, but when this guy began to melt, because it was so intense and time consuming, we handed it off to Rob Malenfant. Um, but he just built on, you know, we left the light instruments that Tom Jouette had done and, and off they went. Now here we get into this kind of almost burning and this 
really hideous foamy crap and then you know he's smoking because he's burning and and Patrick is just like he is a sexually assaulting this guy through you know his own scanning ability without even touching him look at the tear look at the tear in Patrick's face that's Pat man that's yeah just... his his eyes are watering this entire scene just oh yeah it's just, yeah he so just gratification out of it and then you can see we get like the sucking down of the guy you know coming down there and then we you know now we, then we ended up with this woman who was a kind of a very slender slender stunt woman a mime and we put the suit on her and you can see that you know Tony Fauci was kind of a plump guy and now he's not and then all it goes up scanning sound effects to the top Yeah, it's one thing that hang on uh, was it good for you jonesy that's <laughs> just that's that was in the script that's great but he just took it and he wanders down look at the little balk everything's fine i'm having my nice day in the park as i eat people's powers alive so You know, when you have when you have to have this kind of uh, you know like expository narrative just to explain what's going on, it's great to have guys like Steve Mandel and Robert Forrester do it because they you know they just they make it a lot less boring. They make it yeah yeah info dumps and exposition can sometimes yeah it's hard to do with Christine and Mandel and these guys. So um, you know. But there is even so much comedy from from Patrick yeah, that's you know. that's unintentional. That just is. I don't is, think is I, it's not, I don't think it's unintentional. <laughs> this, is, this is like you know he knew what was going on. I mean, this is and but Richard Assad, great character actor playing the hotel clerk. Just you know he, he was just lots of fun. Um, always found something interesting to be doing. You'll see in the subsequent scenes where he's he brings a lot of little 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 comedy rim shots to otherwise these grotesque events that are going to be happening. You know. So, yeah, nothing's going. Everything's fine. This little buddy knows. You said this was all a set, though. It's on. It's not a set. It's on a kind of a downtown movie studio. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, it's an alley that just happened to be in that location. So it wasn't like we had to close off a street or anything, which made, yes. made it really cool. It made it really nice. But, you know, I just like the way we, you know, we're able to take this alley and just, just, just for, it's like a forced perspective painting just to get these yeah, walls yeah, kind no, of it's, compressing it's, people around each other. Really it was good. really cool. There you go, Steve. Ah, oh, the truck. Yeah, I remember that. We had big discussions about what's his car. We were thinking about, do we do, we do like a muscle car? But that had been kind of done. So we came up with this really cool pickup truck that Danny had. Yep. Yep. 
So now we'll end up at the hospital in a second. And you could tell because it was an ambulance. I forgot, this is a hospital that was closed. I think it's up in the valley somewhere. Yeah, it's, uh, I heard it was apartment buildings now. Could very well be, yeah, yeah. So, you know. You tell me that. Give me my is, diploma. Is this one of the locations that uh, I think you were telling me a story when we were talking, you know, through the past couple months about everything? Mm-hmm. You didn't. You mentioned about Christine being able to, like, coerce somebody into letting <laughs> people shoot into a location. Was is this, you know, is I. This one of them? Oh gosh, no. The story. <laughs> That's a story about my wife and I going out on a nightclub with Christine, and she just walked right past the line into the into the derby. And I went, "Oh, that's what this is like." That was the kind of cool thing. And Christine was, you know, still still you know, coming off of um, head of the class, and um, we'd gone out, had a great dinner at, at this restaurant, and um, you know, she just had this magic that she could just walk through the line, and there we just we just kind of coasted in her wake, and. We had a great night. That was a lot of fun. So, and if, you'll, you'll, I, th- I actually think, by the way, this might have been, I'm trying to think of who did this. Uh, this might have been um, uh, John Beekler that did the sketch that you're about ready to see. I, I, I'm not sure, really. I'm not sure. Um, uh, it's various stages. We started out with Christine's hand, and, and you know, there we go. Nope, wasn't her. I take it all back. It's not John Bickler. We actually had a woman do the sketch for us. We had to have a female hand doing it. So we had a, a stunt hand uh, as Christine. She wasn't quite that talented. It's okay. Can't touch a nurse like that now. Okay. Yeah. I forgot who this guy. This I remember this this the guy that played the orderly. I um, just kind of a cool guy. So again, what Danny's doing, what Christine is doing, just this. You know, it's just hard, and I I came to really appreciate what they were going through at the end of one of these sequences, and I, and. But it took me not appreciating it. It took me like just kind of like, okay, next setup, next setup, next setup to really realize that I can't, I got to give time to these actors to, to you know, to let them know to let them know that you know they have time just to recover from this. You know, and it's a low budget show, so you you really want to get going, you want to get going stuff, and 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 you, you can't. You got to give them space to to just to take a breather after that kind of intensity. That's what I appreciate about these later sequels is that the scanner lore has definitely explored a lot more of their yeah. capabilities and what they're able to do. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of a always kind of a bummer that uh, this didn't continue in a different direction or even the scanner cop direction. It's just you know it, I feel like it should have been a series that should have continued in different scenarios and in yeah. ways. But. Hang on, watch this line. And just a nurse. <laughs> that was scripted, but she took it really nicely. She did a really great job with that. Yeah, it, you know, it would have been interesting. 
you know, as as the universe of scanners expanded to, you know, from, you know, uh, the, you know, Cronenberg's original picture to the sequels that were done up in Canada, and then, you know, then Sam Stasiak, a scanner cop, and now there's, you know, there's a drug to fight scanning and to bring it under control, like some sort of a very, you know, intense version of Ritalin. Um, and, uh, and then this show, where we have an entire world of people who are scanners just getting through their everyday lives. Um, would have been fun to go farther to see what, you know, what would have become of these people later on, you know. Any idea if Cronenberg has ever watched this stuff, or it's like if I would be so flattered if he did, and if I were him, I wouldn't. Uh, <laughs> you know, he's just he's he's David Cronenberg, man. He's you know on a level far beyond anything I could ever aspire to do. Um, so your people, my people. Here you go. So watch what in a second, um, you know, Steve Bendel's on the phone, um, and uh, he'll be um, watch this bit he does with the phone. <laughs> he was telling I said, yeah, answer the phone. I said, I got a thing I do. I said, yeah, okay, let's see what happens. And it was cute. Now, now I think second unit shot this scene with Patrick up by the phone booth, but you know. Um, uh, he just they, they they were always swell and, and able to keep us on schedule and that kind of gag that was just fun also one of the first times he's in full light like that too good observation yeah, yeah. you know something hadn't thought about that it's like he's he's like out in the daytime like exposed yeah something happened to him while he was in the joint let's go to las cruces and see what we can come up with this is this scene was um I had fun with this scene um i think this is probably that same studio that we were at before should have moved those files out of it if blocking danny that was just a silly composition on my part swap their position put danny on the left put steve on the right would have worked better but hey someday i'll learn how to direct a movie <laughs> i think you did a good job yeah. hey look vhs tape <laughs> So this is this is a really fun part. When you know, when when you came back to me with a picture, I totally forgot this. Oh my god! This, this guy screaming terrible. right there. That's yeah. Michael Sloan. Michael Sloan was my writing partner when I was an aspiring screenwriter. He went on to write The Majestic for Frank Darabont, and I said, "Hey, I got a part. You want to do it?" He said, "Yeah, sure." And when I called him up after you you brought this whole you know restoration project to me, I called him up and I said, "Hey, I just saw you on TV," and he said, "Really?" He he had he had forgotten he did the scene. When I showed him the clip, he remembered it, but he had never seen it. He had never seen this thing where his you know he explodes through a window. Um, so anyway, I really you know Mike is is so much fun to write with. It was so much fun to work with that um, you know it was really it was really fun to see him just kind of toss up here. Now the fun part was. You see all these close-ups you know, with the scan lines on the television set. We basically they basically shot this scene from the security monitor point of view. You know, it's just one setup pretty much, and then we did coverage within the TV monitor. We when we were trying to like you know do the intercutting. So 
and it worked because it's a TV monitor and you bought into it. It was great. Now, did anybody keep replaying that uh, Vulcan scream that Patrick Kilpatrick makes? Because that that just cracks me up. It's just you know, <laughs> I, I we should turn it into a meme. <laughs> yeah, it, it's just one of those things that just put that scream on loop. Um, right, right. Because that's like again. You know, it is funny, but it is one of his, like, childlike tendencies that occurs mm-hmm. throughout the movie that, you know, uh, that he's fully not in control of himself. He's feral. He's yeah. He's got this, this, this animalistic, you know, uh, uh, you know, underlying, you know, force driving him crazy. And yeah. uh, he's, instead of running from it, he's embracing it. You know, it's really cool. And the thing that's important to remember about, you know, Patrick and being Vulcan, and, you know, that kind of puts Daddy in the role of, of Van Helsing, but you can't have one without the other, you know. Here we go. Hello? 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 would have been just too much you know but with Danny as this rock against him it balanced the frame so the frame didn't tilt too much way one way or the other and and you know one had to have the other guy Danny had to have Patrick as a villain to make his intensity work Patrick had to have Danny as his pursuer for that you know that 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 magnificent madness to play out Yeah, so again, like you know, you got, you got Christine doing this great work with, you know, trying just to, you know, advance the plot and, and, and keep her character, you know, you know, intensity going. Also, Danny's hair. You know, man, I wish I was, I, I wish I had hair like that, you know. <laughs> cool. So. I think I got. I think I walked away with one of those lamps to my office when this was done. Yep. Hey, all these guys are being melted. Let's go on a date. Okay. That's another aspect of, you know, of Danny's character, just trying to figure out where he came from. That was just, you know, a, a really gratifying thing to have here. So when I did, when we were constructing this scene, this one I worked with Mark Seve on, I was basically using the dual flashback from The Wild Bunch where, you know, um, William Holden's Pike and uh, uh, Robert Ryan's Deke Thornton staring at different campfires with different compatriots remembering the same event where they, you know, separated, where Pike got away and Deke Thornton was captured. So when, you know, in talking to both Patrick and to Danny about this, you know, that was, we wanted that shared flashback experience. Oh, and, and second unit, they were the guys with that bathtub, man. They were, that was, uh, that was awesome. That was. Cutting in. All yours, 
So, you know, yeah. That was, uh, that was our second unit director. In the t- I'm, I'm sure Patrick has something to do with that. I, I never talked to him about it. But. So now we, you know, now we get into this kind of shared you know, remembrance simultaneously in the timeline of the movie, which I thought was you know, really important. You know, and here's Danny. He's you know fresh off of being a patrol cop and scanner cop one. Now he's a detective, and you know so. I love that uh, just hat backwards yeah. to yeah, exactly. kind of show, show, the, show the youth. Yeah, <laughs> and it's funny, you know, when I was I was shooting this with Thomas, and I really want the shaky cam kind of handy handheld feeling. So I do great handheld, and and later on discovered that in in I I, I was hope, hoping for a shakier frame in all these shots, and and Tom took great pride in doing really solid handheld work, and I should have been more clear with him about that. Always love this. Always love that. You know, Danny. You know, forced Patrick to kill his own brother. Um, that was you know. That that was, I, I I'm I'm absolutely certain that was Mark Sevy's you know concept in the script. And again, look at the look at that reaction from from Pat in the bathtub. It's just you know remembering this thing. It still lives him. It still drives him crazy. And the fact that he's not taking some ephemeral anymore, he's just you know going down that rabbit hole. Yeah, milky the milky soapy water. That was just cool. So Danny pops back, and here we go to the plot now. Um, one of the things about um, when we were shooting this location uh, where the police station was um, let's see oh what's Patrick doing here I forgot that's right there's the coat bright light Um, It's also like just a look at that. Look at that. Look at how he just he just leans into that light that Tom Jewett put on the ground right there and just you know and turns out of it. He knows he knew where things. He knew how cinema worked. Pat really did. Now he's all backlit with that cape going out the window. It's awesome. Up oh, bright light again. Forget it. Now so this is uh, Terry. She was a lot of fun. I shot. <laughs> when I was shooting the laundry part of this, I shot all these inserts of laundry that we didn't use. That Pat ran said, "You're an idiot. What are you doing?" I all you know laundry into the top of the washing machine, laundry soap. I had all. I was trying to build this really kind of, kind of faux Hitchcockian thing about laundry that would be interrupted when Patrick came in the scanner, and and we it, it just got, well, got cut out. I remember Pierre mocking me in daily, saying, "What are you doing with all of these?" These, these, these laundry, nobody cares. Oh, she just pushed the, yeah, so she just pushed the dryer button just now. Yeah, so Terry was great. Ter- Terry uh, went on to become an agent. Um, and again, how do we get blood coming out of noses? How's this all going to work? So this was the, the washerwoman. So this is like very similar to the scanning death that happened in the alley with with um, uh, Tony as the pickpocket. Um, so in going through the storyboard of the sequence, you know, we we you know John Beekler and I we worked together designing and storyboarding the Tony sequence first. We kind of went in story order. And I'd go visit him every few days, and we'd go through the next sequence. So you know, what do we do to make this one cool? What do we do? 
So if, as you watch this scanning going on, you'll see that it starts out kind of like the pickpocket, except we got these washing machines going. Oh, check out those uh, those vents pointing right at Pat. That's again Tom Jewett always looking to compose something cool and stretch that frame. Because yeah, Pat's having a great day. So you know, and Terry is you know a little plump, and again, and, and it worked out really good when we were like killing people to like um, you know when they're losing their life force to reduce them physically in size at the same time that we're losing other stuff. Up oh, here's uh, Assad. He's just so cool. I didn't run into the room. Never rented the room. You know, and that little bit of comedy is happening while this woman's being, you know, sucked dry. So yeah, that was um that was Mark Chevy, I think. We'll look around. But chances are this guy's already left. Yeah. Wait right here. Never rented the room. Yeah, Richard Assad. Now that might have been him. He might have just thrown that away at the end of the take. I, I, you know, I'm pretty confident it was. So now we go to Terry, and she's, you know, we we put the mime in the, you know, the scanned out clothing and stuff, and this very slender stunt woman, and you know, very similar to what happened to Tony in the alley, but we wanted to try to find a way to button it, and so when. Um, we, we had been talking about this skinny suit that the, the stunt woman was going to be wearing. And uh, John said, you know what we could do? I said, what? He says, well, we could, like, have it on the ground. And then, you know, maybe maybe squish it some more. So watch. what This is just... Yeah, this is, this is John Beekler. He just was looking for one more way to elevate this. And so we just kind of, like, pulled her into the floor. Yep, and lots of goop. I don't know what that goop was made of, but. Looks like plenty to me, pal. So Ian, you know, now we're getting to, you know getting to that dark, you know, lighting and stuff like that. What's going on? Now this is probably not the most, you know, appropriate tactical thing where one guy goes in by himself to. <laughs> his partner stays outside, but hey, it advanced the plot and got me, you know, throwing a guy out of the doorway. And the flowers, I, I you know, uh, I'm, I'm sure the prop guys just found something cool to put on the wall. Crooked flowers while he's doing this evil thing. It just real nice, you know, bit of contrast. So this, and again, now, now we're sparking that. You know, we had that thing with Danny in the earlier part of the movie where he controls, you know, one of the one of the terrorists. So now we're doing the same thing again. So what's kind of cool about the scene is when, when Danny's talking about this, it's like scanners are just part of society now. They're just, you know, they're out there. It always reminded me kind of, um, kind of like a, like an X-Men type thing. Yeah. Oh, oh, this is, that was a great hotel. 
I'm sorry that those arches, you know, that we just came through. This is this downtown hotel that my that, that they the location guy found. It was just this old, rundown, you know, what are they, SROs? I forgot what they call it. Anyway, really terrible old hotel in a bad neighborhood. So here we got the scene of all this intense violence, and you know. Richard Assad is just kind of, as the hotel clerk, is just reacting as one would. But, you know, he's standing in as, you know, as as the audience, really, in the scene. Um, and I enjoyed that. There's that little reload bit that, you know, Patrick had him do. So, and off we go. Where's the back door? That. <laughs> I, 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 I can't recall if I was smart enough to come up with that gag or if that was in Mark's script but I, I, I'd like to think it was me but it was probably Mark but Richard carried it off I like the way he pointed great deal of character in that hand yeah we, we were talking about a second ago about just this universe of scanners in society that is kind of normal now so you know it, it would have been interesting to see the universe explored more you know in a kind of a nice low budget X-Men way I always like that gag. That one worked pretty well. Pat cut the hell out of that a little bit. Bom, bom. I love that theme that Richard Bowers did for us there. Whenever whenever Vulcan shows up, that bom, bom. And this guy is a tiny little bit, but it was a great little piece. He did a good job. Love the hook. The hook was kind of hanging a little bit higher, and I forgot if it was our gaffer or the septic raider. So let's get that hook in the shot. So we lowered it down, and that was fun. Copy that. So this whole expansion of, of the powers that Stasiak has, the ability to kind of get into somebody's mind and, you know, and, and suss out what, you know, what other scanner footprints might have been left in somebody's head, was very cool. So, oh, there's the hook. I remember in Daly's Pier went, love that, it's great. <laughs> I think I was just doing more of a Scottish accent than French Canadian, but there you have it. So yeah, so our... We're trying to figure out some way to put Sam in physical jeopardy, and you know our, uh, you know, and our our stunt team came up with this you know this this kind of lifting the pallet gag. That's Kurt Bryant with our stunt coordinator, and and um, uh, he I believe plays the next guy that Danny's talking to. So this guy here was a stunt guy I worked with at Corman. Here's Kurt. Yeah, so Kurt Bryant, our stunt coordinator on the show, great guy, easy going, always had fun gags working out, and he he designed this whole this whole bit with the paper with with the, with the paper rollers and everything else, and that was fun. This is a fun scene to shoot. Again, the cool thing about the scanner movie was this police action picture with science fiction scanning just really was fun. And Kurt Bryant wanted to do a lot of stuff too. Oh yeah, yeah. 
He's, he, was, he was really good. And again, just easy to work with and everything else. And this was hard. I mean, you had to kind of crush Danny in a in the cop. Now, again, we got this dueling scanning thing going again. Can't say that for the sound guys that, you know, help, help propagate that. Yeah, so, so the, that's Patrick Statham. Patrick Statham was a, a stunt coordinator, a stuntman at, at Roger Corman's when I started out. Another great guy. So, so now we get this little expansion of Danny's powers where he can actually scan things. You know, he can scan a mechanical or electrical device, you know. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, that was one of my favorite things when it was uh, yeah. Yeah. kind of established. In the, and now Patrick yeah. does it too. Watch what yeah, Patrick will do here in a second himself. Yeah, that was, uh, I think that was Kurt. I, I don't remember who actually was, was Danny's stuntman, but that was a fun gag to shoot. I really enjoyed having that, that big pallet come down on him. This was one of the first, uh, first day of shooting here um and uh i think this is the first take that we're watching right now i remember i, I gave pat danny some direction I said, when you get up there you need to turn around and blah blah and and then pat said nah pat my editor said no we're not doing that he went with the first take and i remember my my wife brought her parents down there who i don't think understood what i did for a living at the time and at the end of the day <laughs> um mr Wynn, who was this you know great great guy said okay you work i understand I guess even right there, it's uh, like kind of photographic memory part too that the scanner is able to go back and and look at what he actually saw right. before. But yeah, but a lot, you know, I think they have intense memories. But I, that was really a lot of that was Pat Rand, my editor, was able to construct these kind of flashbacks to make it to make the audience understand what Patrick O'Patrick yeah. was was thinking. So this night, this particular night of shooting, man. We had a, um, a caterer, and I did an interview at lunch after I finished eating. It was a chicken dish or something like that. And then later in the evening, a bunch of us came down with food poisoning. And it was like that scene in um, uh, Welcome to Oblivion, you know, where the, the movie about low-budget filmmaking with them. Um, and it was... It was <laughs> Where everybody got like, where the director of photography got food poisoning, drinking the bad milk at the craft service counter. So look at look at Steve here. He's sick. He's genuinely sick in this shot. And like I was quite probably throwing. I, I this night I was in the bathroom on my knees, retching in the toilet, and then they'd knock. Steve, they're ready for you. I say, it's a second, and I'd come back out, you know, rinse my mouth, come out, direct the scene, and go back to the bathroom and throw up. <laughs> God, I think we lost like about thir a third of the crew and the cast to, to food poisoning that night. I remember um, that was that was a miserable, miserable night of shooting. Was it Living in Oblivion or Welcome to Oblivion? I forgot the name of the show. 
I think it's welcome think to it's, oblivion. Yeah, I think it's welcome to oblivion. Yeah. Even in daytime, even in daytime, he looks malevolent and evil. Just how, you know, DOS PCs. <laughs> <laughs> how many things you have to push to print? Well, I think it's, yeah, also in the first scanner cop, I think uh, Stasiak's able to touch the computer and actually draw um, kind of a... Um, I remember that. Like, yeah, like a sketch artist type thing. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's like, I remember that now. Which, it's, it's not really, you know, doesn't evolve to anything, but kind of, again, shows you the power right, that, right, uh, right. that they can achieve. Now, this, this, I forgot, this is very late in the shoot. It's one of our last nights of shooting. Danny was exhausted. I don't think he studied very much. He forgot most of his lines in the scene. We were constantly having to remind him. And then, um, and Christine would carry the, carry the water. <laughs> so, this is the first of these sequences of like, you know, tracking down more scanners on the list. Um, and uh, I think this is. I think it's Lisa Comshaw here. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Yeah, this is this is yeah. my favorite gag. Right yeah, now. this is this is one of the cool ones. There, I, I believe this was scripted. I'm pretty confident that Mark Sevy wrote that she gets sucked through a screen door. But we had to pick the screen door. Look at look at the look at the grate. It wasn't just like a regular screen door. We had to get kind of a police, you know, like a like a security screen to make it work. And again, if there's the sex part of this scanning part. He just starts kissing her, and um, and, and actually making 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 her body mold. I remember uh, um, uh, the gang about visual effects. They all drew straws to see who would actually get to coat her in uh, in plaster of Paris. <laughs> sucking the life force out of the scanners and she says yes he is so it's only been I don't know an hour and three minutes into the plot and, and, and Danny and her finally realize oh it, that's Dracula out there so here we go this guy lived in my building he was um, an aspiring actor and second unit shot this scene uh, and I remember just talking to him beforehand and he I thought he did swell with a very throwaway nothing thing then we had to slow it down because her coming out of there was pretty grotesque and left her hanging there in the screen door. Was there essentially more of that shot for the actual being sucked through the screen door? Or was no, it was always... We, one of the things we were challenged with on the show was the budget. I mean, it was you know, a moderately yeah. budget show. And so that was what was so cool about working with John when we were storyboarding stuff. Um, we decided, well, how are we going to, you know, get from A to B to C? So, like, in the alley or with Terry in the laundry room, you know, we saw all these individual steps. That sequence there would have been really rough to shoot, pulling her through, to see her pulling through the screen. So, we decided we would do that as an after aftermath. And actually, it worked really well because it was kind of a surprise. Like, you, you didn't know what was going to happen when he kissed her through the screen. And then all of a sudden, we come back and through the eyes of her boyfriend, we see her, you know, 
turned into you know little like cheese nuts or I don't, just just goop coming through those little slice slices of the of the screen door. Now this one was a fun movie. I'm sorry, this sequence was also kind of fun. I'm pretty confident this was a Mark Sevy idea that these two people would meld together. But again, it speaks to John Beekler ramping up each individual thing. Um, so, you know, we started out with, uh, you know, Pat trying to scan Christine Hodge in the scanner center, and it's just the two of them acting intensely. And then we go to uh, uh, Patrick and the, uh, the scanner in the alley. Um, uh, Tony Fauci doing the uh, the pickpocket, and then we go to Terry in the basement as the laundry woman, and you know then we do, you know we just keep on getting it. How do we get it more and more intense? Then we had the gal getting, you know, Lisa getting sucked through a screen, which is you know that's an intense thing to do to somebody. And then then we come here where two people, one a scanner, one not, you know, and he's being the big macho guy trying to to help out everything, and Patrick just despises of him right away, but you know, and she steps up. You know, she steps up to kind of do, you know, the fight. But again, dueling scanners, sound design sells the idea of who's winning. You know, Patrick toying with her. Um, so, yeah, I guess it's, I think it's Brenda Swanson is her name. Um, and so because we couldn't do, you know, we had to kind of do this um, uh, American Wolf in London, like on cuts. We didn't get to see as much transitional stuff live on camera. So it had to be done, you know, cutting back to Patrick, cutting back to the victims. Again, second unit took care of the victims here. And he got, you know, this is the guy, like, wasn't the scanner. He just got kind of caught in the vortex here. And, and I love Patrick just enjoying it. I mean, Patrick's just thinking, this is funny. This is like, you know, I'm, I'm, at, I'm, at, I'm at the comedy store. You know, I hadn't seen this movie in so long when, when you guys called and said we're restoring it. I, 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 there's a lot of scanning in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. So now this is the bit. This is when Patrick has got to kind of do this thing where he, he, he makes them go together. <laughs> and look at, look, look at how he's doing this. Patrick recognized that each one of these events in the picture, each one of these set pieces had to be different. And so we had the incredible, you know, that this unexplained, surprising sexual gratification in the alley. And then, you know, similar things happening with, with Terry in the laundry room. But in this scene, he just took this for laughs and just a whole different experience. You know, and of course, leading to the, you know, your favorite button line on the scanning scene coming up. I wish I could take credit for that, but it was probably Mark. I'll take this. You stay here and finish. So this is this location was awesome. It was like a, a YWCA that had just been restored, and 
it's got this great Dracula's castle look to it, and I really appreciate it. It was also the only crane shot I was going to have in the movie. When I got there, the crane was gone. Somebody cut it because we were behind, and they didn't want to spend the money on it. So, again, wonderful location. You know, old 30s Los Angeles building. Um, really had a great time shooting here. Yeah, we were really lucky. Almost all these little small parts, like this guy, Richard in the hotel, they all worked swell. And this gal on the left playing cards with um, uh, Sam's mom, she was a bit of a find, too. Um, And this was a tough scene for Christine. I mean, you know, she, she sucked it up and did a really nice piece of work about losing her friend here. It's one of those things where you have to kind of be nice, you know, be quiet, give them space, and get out of their way. I couldn't identify her. All her boyfriends, so. They called me because my name and her purse is an emergency contact. Sam. Did you find it uh, difficult with uh, kind of jug juggling? You know, because there's not really a love interest in the sense of going on with Stasiak and her, but there's, you know, obviously you're juggling three stories. Um, you know, how, how was that presented in the script? You know, uh, you know it, was, it was a little hard because Sam and, you know, and and Christine's character, Carrie, they never really consummated anything. Uh, but that little, I don't want to say sexual tension, but the, certainly the interest, the mutual interest, two scanners, you know, one guy, very powerful, you know, figure, um, trying to, uh, uh, you know, make a relationship, but it's happening in the middle of all this stuff. Um, it was a little rough. Really, and and you could tell, like at the, even at the end, you know, with the romance, um, I didn't pull that off as well as I might I would have liked to, I think. But um, again, we got the phone the phone thing going again. Um, and by the way, phone booths, I love phone booths. You don't see them anymore. Um, so you know, we had you know, you know, it's almost a bit of a triangle too, by the way, because Sam and Patrick, and Patrick's you know, you know, kind of a, you know strange you know obsession with sam and then sam and christine so it 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 was a delicate one it was kind of an interesting thing there's that worrying of sam scanning that the guys did and again it's like you know sam just can't catch a break i mean you know he's got this girl he wants to date and he can't do it he's got his mom he wants to meet and he can't do it Watch this. It was her looking at the cards. I remember her doing that, and I was laughing out loud. And it kind of worked in concert with what Richard Assad was doing, uh, you know, behind the behind the counter and in the hallway when he says, "I didn't read the room," and just these other little throwaway things like Steve Vendell. It it helped leaven what was a pretty intense movie. That guy right there, he's going to be a victim. So yeah, all, all the stuff running down the stairs. That's the same same studio as the alley. Um, 
I love that cut. That was Pat. Just truck out her into frame. This is this great hallway. Now watch this little throwaway bit with this uh, old autococcus that comes down there. Uh, what are you doing up here? And Patrick is so patronizing and pleasant to him, and he's gonna die. Love the staircases they had in this location. This all this location. I'd love to shoot here again if I ever got a chance. And this woman was marvelous, you know, um, as Sam's mom. You know, she was a, oh golly. I, I just had so much fun directing her. Barbara Tarbuck. For those of you listening, I've got IMDb open on my computer. <laughs> um, Barbara was just, look at, if, number one, she's like, you know, this woman of age running up and down a staircase like a maniac, past chasing her like, you know, a happy puppy. Um, and, uh, but, she brought incredible weight and, 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 and just bearing to this part of the mom. And she has hardly any dialogue. She's just this terrified woman, and you totally empathize with her in this, this situation that we can all imagine. Just the moves, just the little spinnings, and then Patrick slides in like a dancer and starts going down the hallway checking to see stuff. And one of my favorite shots, to, that shot right there, of her looking with the screen on her. Tom lit it great, and it was a tight close-up, and we were just walking through me. I was just describing to her, he's coming closer, he's shaking the doorknobs, and she, all this reaction was so great. I remember we finished the take, and uh, I, I, I called cut, and we just all exhaled and, and smiled and laughed because we just loved what she did in that shot. Just that close up and then right there. And this was my first high fall. I really hadn't done one of these before. So uh, the guys had built the uh, air airbag during the day, the night we were shooting the scene. And I was going to have her come out of the uh, archway, you know, hang on a second, she's going to look at this archway here. So she's looking at the archway on the right. She was supposed to come out the archway on the left. The airbag was built to come out the archway on the left-hand side. But when I blocked the seat inside, I didn't remember that. And I just kind of like put her on that side of the balcony. So when it came time to shoot it, you know, uh, Kurt said, Steve, you know, we can't, she can't come out of that side. And so we kind of found a compromise. Um, we did it. Now, this is great. So here's Barbara, you know, way the high up in this building. I think we might have had a stunt guy nearby to make sure she didn't fall out the window. But in a second, she's gonna, you know, like, you know, crawl up the, uh, <laughs> crawl up this balcony. I won't allow you to use me to hurt my son. And there she goes. And again, uh, just just that little quick cut. Like the thump of the body as Pat comes out of the balcony. That was Pat Rand, our editor. He just knew what he was doing. She's a very heroic character. I won't allow you to use me to get my to kill my son. And listen to that. Patrick, I'm waiting for you, scanner cop. What a great line. I just, it's just so nifty. And again, scanners and guns. 
You gotta love it. <laughs> so again, love the location. Now we get this great cat. It's a great place to have cat and mouse. I don't think the basement was at this location. I think once we went down the stairs, we are in a uh, a different place. Yeah. Because we're back at this, this is the studio where we had so much of the alley scene was at the studio. And... So this was, you know, again, John Beekler helping me, you know, conceive this sequence where Sam is going to manipulate, you know, people who are dead. Big low angle fire doors closing. Gotta love that scene. That was a good shot. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm coming. That might have been Danny. I don't even know if that line was in the script, but that was a very classic Danny Quinn line. Hey, who are you? Bloody sponge, back of head, slide down wall. Easy to do. Don't try it at home. Yeah, I love this bit. Put him on a dolly, roll him right in the pad. I love him cleaning the screwdriver and looking at how clean it was. That was just a cute bit. That was awesome. So I, I can't even remember what this location was, but I enjoyed the boiler room aspect of it and all the other crap that made it kind of, you know, evil and sinister and menacing just, you know, by, by standing there. This is the fun part where, you know, where, where Sam comes in trying to, like, you know, use just brute force to get over Patrick, and Patrick beats him. So here's Sam scanning Sam, that kind of whirring, fast whirring thing, and now Pat just overcomes him. I never understand why Pat just didn't go finish the job, but it would have made the sequence a lot shorter. <laughs> well, I think it's that, pa Look at that power aspect, just, you know, manipulation and... Sure. Well, just him, just look at him just swinging into that. Look at that. He's in his shadow, he's in shadow, he's in shadow. He'll know it. He walks into the light to, to do the deed. But I just love the way he swung in on that pipe like he was at a playground. So, you know, so here we are. So this was something that's interesting. I mean, I think you guys brought it up. Like, are we, you know, we're manipulating victims. We're manipulating, you know, the, the people that, that Vulcan has killed. Is that valid? Is that moral? And yeah, maybe. Well, I just, I just, I, I thought it's interesting. Yeah, I, I brought that up with, uh, in the interview is I, I think it's interesting that sometimes it's just like, you know, whatever it takes. Yeah. And that was kind of the deal, um, you know, and so, you know, Pat, Pat's just too much. And it just underscores, you know, Christine Hodges, you know, thing you have to use illusion to, to deal with this. And you were right earlier that that, this, that the terrorist scene where he manipulates some of those criminals, you know, set the table for how this is going to play out. It didn't just come out of nowhere. So that worked out pretty good. 
so, so another great effect coming up here yeah yeah so we have that kind of a you know that transitionary effect exactly So yeah, so now, so this was tough. Uh, interesting, you know, this is the first time we've used makeup with 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 Danny, and Danny had to sell through it. And there's that transition that that we that, that we worked out with the Apple Company with Pat Rand and I. That that's like going from the illusion being broken to like you know, and we had two guys you know playing that victim, Danny and him. All those shadows, all that's Tom Jouet. Always looking to find something interesting. One eight five aspect ratio frame, because that's what we had to do. But he's always trying to stretch it too. Are you coming out letterboxed? One eight five. Yeah. Cool. And again, Danny's acting through the makeup, and that's just Pat on his own and Pat knew enough you know how to put himself he's having a hard time his character is having a hard time doing this and he knows something's wrong but he can't figure it out and now he's like that's where you see that that like toddler face come out and he takes off his coat it's like, you know, Samson shearing his locks. He takes off his jacket and folds it up and puts it down. Like, okay, all right. He's kind of a shell of what he was when he left that police station. You know, when he left the police station, he was so powerful and, and confident. And now he's back to, like, barreling guy, getting by. And Stasiak has got him to lose his temper. Here we go. Yeah, and Pat's character is like just 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 rub salt in that just already raw wound. And again, before the makeup, even before look at look at his veins bursting. Look at look at Danny getting scanned. I mean, it's just the intensity of the performances as these guys. So that when we do transition to makeup, when Danny does start to do the stuff it's a lot more believable because you saw him as himself almost, you know, as intense. And Danny had like three sets of makeup on for this thing, and each one had a different stage. So it's like these multiple steps where he's playing, you know, the guard, where he's playing the boiler repair guy, and then now he's playing himself getting scanned. And, it, you know, Again, really appreciating what the sound guys did with, you know, explaining in a, in a kind of an aural sense that, you know, you know, that, that who's winning, who's losing this, this, this scanning, you know, battle. I don't think you've got the 
Yeah, it really shocked me when I talked to Patrick, and I was like, you know, how how much, how many, how often do they put makeup on you for your veins? And he was like, not very, not, him. not very often. <laughs> yeah, he didn't have makeup on until here. Yeah, until yeah. this scene, just so so intense. And now it's all Danny's scanning power. You know, and we had to keep the music out of the way of the scanning because we had electronic music and Richard had to compose in, in, in um, realms of the aural spectrum where he didn't interfere with this sound effect. Oh, man. And Pat is just not going to last very long. And he, and, and he, he just... just, he, he just performed it so well his powers were he's losing he's losing and he knows it even in the grotesque of it all and then the big scene what we all wait for <laughs> it, also, it also circles back with you with, with directing this picture as far as you know that was the only head explosion we have <laughs> which yeah. you know that's what the movie's known for but it circles back with you know ending what uh we love and know yeah yeah you know i danny did a great job leaving this scene i mean he was feeling the intensity look at the sad the mix of sadness and everything he just he did a swell swell work with that one here and robert forrester steve bendell the whole gang You know, if I had thought more, I think I shot this scene before I did the ending. I think I would have given him less flip line to say because of what he had just been through. Now, somebody pointed out to me, I think it was you, like, let's go home. Wait a minute. <laughs> I guess they're going to date now. So yeah. there we have it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's, I, I think that works because, you know, a lot of times in a third act in movies, and this goes, I honestly, even good movies, 90% of the time, yeah. everything's just really rushed. Um, sure. And, and, and it's, it's, it's not uh, earned sometimes. Mm -hmm. and, and being that there wasn't really a romantic uh, relationship between them. Uh, it just works. It works that it's just it's over, you know. And yeah. They yeah. don't kiss and you have an aerial shot or anything. Like that. Yeah, they're not hugging and kissing, you know. And, and and you know, I I think that oh, that's Gail Slade. If you see, if you're watching the credits, Gail Slade was this very slender stunt lady who wore that makeup and had to act right through it and did a great job with that. And all those, she was the 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 the, the end victim in all those scanner scenes. Oh, and Steve Gerke, my script supervisor, he's an awesome guy. He came with me from uh, uh, Rogers. Uh, he did Mind Warp for me when I was in uh, Wisconsin working for Fangoria magazine. Did this this thing hit Fangoria, didn't it, this movie? I'm assuming it did. Uh, I mean, I I don't remember specifically, but I, right. I imagine it did, yeah. Yeah, we hope so. Well, you know, it was it was at the end of the day, it was a pretty pretty remarkable experience for me. It was again a very tight budget. You know, you try to get something that that you know comes close to being as decent as a script and you know when you've got guys like danny and patrick and and christine and then this really nicely nicely arrayed supporting cast these small little bits that all came across 
Um, I was very fortunate in the way all that casting worked out. Tom Jouette's photography was so over-the-top great. Um, took a long time to light, but was really worth it because it, it yeah. made the movie into this deep, dark vampire story. Pat Rand's editing, keeping, you know, just, just finding the transitions, keeping the story going and the characters working. It was good. And, then, you know, and of course, you know, you know, Pierre David, the master of all scanner lore. I mean, he understood that realm, that world better than anybody. You know, so. Oh, you know, right. You know, Rob Malenfant, our second year director, I'm just kind of watching the credits go by here. He, was, he came from, uh, from, from uh, Pierre's uh, shop. Really talented, supportive guy, always collaborative with what we were trying to do, and in fact, and, and expanded on it. You know, the bathtub bit, stuff like that, just great. And the late great John Beekler, you know, can't say enough good things about working with him. Yeah, and then it's great, you know, like Jeff Farley and James Rowland all went on to be. You know Dirk von Besser, Rod Matasui. Oh, I didn't know they're all they're all they're all big time guys in their own right. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, they all went on. I mean, anybody that really worked for John, um, good, went on. They to deserve do, it. I mean, just just you know maybe not huge success sure. stories. Oh, by the way, hang on, hang on, check it out. The post production supervisor, Steve Barnett. I know that guy. <laughs> I know that guy. But they all went yeah, on so to do really cool movies. You know. Well, that's what's nice about it. It's like you know, when you have people that are talented, like, you know, um, that editors that have assistant editors come up under them and propagate throughout the industry. It's great to see that. It's great to see these people go on to their own, own careers starting out small. You know. Well, I appreciate your time, and uh, thanks for hanging out with us while we... Brad, I, 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 I can't say enough cool things about the fact that you're restoring this movie and that people still connect to it. I, it, it was very unexpected when you gave me a shout and I was so delighted to hear how the picture has, you know, resonated and still maintains the following. Um, I'm very much looking forward to seeing your restoration and, uh, you know, geez, 1994 showdown productions. That was a long time ago. <laughs> Well, thanks very much, man. It's been a pleasure and a delight. I hope this, I hope I hope you have great success with this release. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you.